What's happening, man? This is a test of the emergency broadcast system. Listen, I've made a lifetime out of beating things into the ground. The broadcasters of your area in voluntary cooperation with the FCC have developed a system to keep you informed. Well, it just goes to reinforce my old theory. <laughs> What's that? People from Massachusetts are assholes. I'm Sanders, and he's Liv, and we are Two Sorry Excuses. Liveroo! What's up, Sam, man? Hey, man, how are you? Uh, all right, just living the dream, you know? <laughs> Two Sorry Excuses, Episode 9. Yep. That's right, huh? We passed the uh, two-month mark last yeah, week. it's amazing. We're almost up to double digits. We'll have to, uh, what would a a quarter annual be? Quadrocent. 13 weeks? Quadro, quadro annual? Quant, quant annual? Yeah, I mean, I guess that would be a 13 weeks in. There's 52 weeks in a year. We'd have to put um, some type of commemorative podcast out. Yeah, is that is that the plan now? We're just doing loads of commemorative podcasts? <laughs> <laughs> the way I figure it is it's um it's it's hard enough to get people to listen to the free podcast. Yes. Let's get them, let's get them listen to commemorative the special stuff. Why not up the ante, you know? Yeah. And I figure we we do so little show prep as it is. Imagine if we actually put together some type of a plan or agenda, uh, it would be it would be unbelievable. We might actually know, get might kill the vibe though. Might end up sounding like the McNeil Lair report on PBS. Ah, uh, that's true. <laughs> that's true. If that's one thing, when we set out, when we had our first uh, production planning meeting, I do remember we both said that we do not want to sound like the McNeil Lair report on PBS. So yes, or anything like an NPR or anything like. Next on Two Sorry Excuses. Yeah, I guess you're right. Okay, so that's out the window. talking to a young hipster from Brooklyn who paints in his, in his free time, but also has a fried peanut butter and jelly store or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's my spin of Two Sorry Excuses in the style of All Things Considered on NPR. Which is um, really funny that you mentioned the peanut butter and jelly store, um, because... In addition to that being one of my my secret um, million million dollar plans is to open a gourmet 
uh, jelly shop called uh, Jelly's Last Jam, and I serve only uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches um, with either chunky or smooth peanut butter, and then one of our gourmet um, gourmet brands. Uh, I actually got the idea from a dude who lived in Greenwich Village, and he had a uh, a grilled cheese stand. Yeah. And he just all he all his store served was grilled cheese, and he did like a ton of business off a pretty basic concept. But come to find out and getting to know the dude, um, it was a front for his weed uh, delivery business. Makes sense. Grilled so, cheese, weed. The two go together, and yeah. you know, kind of goes with that that Zigwich business model of serve yes. sandwiches out of one door and drugs out of the other. Yes, master the late night munchies. <laughs> you know, peddling cocaine to dudes who are wired all night out of his van. Um, I mean, I hate to burst your bubble, but don't they have a peanut butter and jelly store already up in New York? Come on, no. I saw it on one of those like travel channel or food network things a couple of years ago. It was like the. You know, the hundred kookiest restaurants or some BS like that. Uh, don't tell me that, man. Yeah, it's probably already it probably is already come and gone knowing the way stuff works in New York. What it's a peanut butter and jelly shop? Yeah, it was a guy that sold peanut butter and jelly. They also had like a place in New York where they served uh bowls of cereal. You know, like basically any stupid idea someone's opened a store for it in New York. Son of a bitch. Yeah. Peanut butter and company. 240 <laughs> Sullivan Street between Bleecker and 3rd in the village. I'm surprised it's still open, to be honest with you. Uh, let's see. Sounds like one of those ideas, you know, one of those common New York ideas where somebody takes something that's, like, trendy and then they they beat it, you know, run it into the ground, make their money off, and get out. Listen, I've made a lifetime out of beating things into the ground. Yeah. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to make any money off of them. But, yep, God, these... Ah oh, man! Oh, these guys actually make really good peanut butter. Peanut butter and company. I've got some of their gourmet peanut butter. Um, so they were basically your idea, except from the gourmet peanut butter side of things. Damn it! You know what though? Maybe Whereas you were gonna be coming from the gourmet jelly, jelly. side of things. Totally different marketplace, man. The market. Maybe you should try to merge with them. <laughs> the market cap for the jelly uh, industry is much, much higher than the market cap for peanut butter. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no, no. They were viewing the sandwich from the from the perspective of gourmet peanut butter. I'm <laughs> I'm changing it. You know, it's totally this is a different. Whole 180 degrees away from peanut butter. I'm turning this shit on its ear. I mean, mm-hmm. nobody has seen the likes of what I'm about to offer with gourmet jelly. I had come up with an idea um, to sell gourmet jellies at farmers markets, but Ann shot that down because I didn't necessarily make the jelly myself. Well, you guys got to buy the jelly. I was going to buy the. I was going to buy the jelly, repackage it, and sell it uh, as gourmet <laughs> jelly <laughs> at the farmers market. And she thought that that you're was... basically going to perpetrate a fraud. <laughs> on she pointed out the whole purpose of a farmers market was a uh, to deliver fresh local goods uh, to consumers, and and b um, to sell your own wares. Yeah. Hence, you're a farmer. 
Oh, this is from Old Man Smucker's Farm. <laughs> it's funny how easy it is to scam people on that. Right. All you need is like a folding table and uh, a couple of those peach baskets, and people will buy anything from you. Yep. Just repackage the stuff in those mason jars or something. And that's how I came up with the idea. Angie's, um has a couple ants who every holiday um, provide some type of home home cooked good, um, you know, whether it's peanut brittle or fudge or um, jellies happen to be big one year. So we have a bunch of, you know, little tiny jelly jars. Yeah. And I thought that, uh, listen, it wouldn't take much to repackage them, sell each one for a couple of dollars markup, and we're golden. I was actually given a jar of orange jelly last week because there was a uh, my buddy Jacob who I work with at his house. He's got a orange tree in the backyard, and you know there was a freeze. Like uh, weather is dropping down to like twenty degrees here, so out of fear of all the oranges dying, they plucked them all off the tree and they had so many damn oranges. You know, you start making jelly at a certain point. Oh no way. Yeah, so my mom's a big I'm, my mom's a big orange jelly fan. Yeah, I haven't even tried it yet, just because it kind of seems orange jelly is weird to me. Well, um, how much did you get? What of the orange jelly? Yeah, I mean, just like a little mason jar, like probably in you know one of those eight ounce jars. Yeah. All right. I was gonna say. Oh, you, you want me to ship you up some orange jelly? <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say I if can you probably get some for you if you really want it. Well, if you can get me about 24 ounces, then I could divvy that up into the 8-ounce mason jars that I have and then bring that to the <laughs> farmer's market. <laughs> you know what? I'll talk to him tomorrow and see if they got some spare orange jelly for you. I'll split the profits with him. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's going to – he's moving out of that house, but I don't think it's going to be worth his while to be starting a uh, a mess orange jelly shipment business you know wait is the property up for sale because i might have found i might have found my new business <laughs> <laughs> yeah his house in a suburban neighborhood happens to have an orange tree in the back <laughs> that's gonna be the source of your orange jelly <laughs> <laughs> well i could co-op it with mike peters because in the uh in his backyard he's got a peach tree and he was telling me um this summer that the peaches grow so fast that they just rot on the tree. Yeah, well, that was his problem. He had so many oranges, it's like it's impossible to keep up with it. Yeah. So how many damn peaches can you eat a day? Exactly. So I'm thinking if I, if I can import that from, from Peter's, we form a co-op. Now should we sell him peach cobbler? This is brilliant. Because I can also sell that at the farmer's market. Yeah. Um, when we were, when I was in Europe, what was that, 2007 now, when I was over there studying with the law school, we were in Salzburg, and they had a guy who had studied over here who was from there, this guy, Lorenz, Lorenz Wolf. And um, he's, like, he's like, hey, guys, when you, it, he told me, and like it was probably like five or six others, He's like, when y'all come to Salzburg, you can just stay at my family's house. So we get there. We're like, we're going to stay at his family's house. Not, you know, thinking just a regular house. But we get there, and it is like this estate. 
Yeah. Now, where and were you? Was... Latvia? No, no, Austria, Salzburg, like R- where uh, Sound of Music was filmed. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, Salzburg, like, you know, the hills are alive. Yes. So we go there, and it's this compound. It even had its own chapel, you know, because Austrians are very Catholic. Okay. Because years ago, when, like, I think it might have been his grandmother, when she was sick, you know, she couldn't go to church in town anymore, so they just built a chapel on the grounds for her. Uh, because apparently they were related, apparently this family was related to the, uh, to the Habsburgs, I heard. Okay. Uh, which you might know as being the family that ruled Austria and the Austro-Hungarian Empire until, uh, the end of World War One. They're one of my uh, favorite Austro-Hungarian families. Yes. Uh, like Franz Ferdinand and all that, that, those people. Uh, Marie Antoinette, she was a Habsburg, I believe. Uh, and and also, I guess when the during World War II, the Americans set up camp at their house. You know, when they were, you know, gone through, you know, taking back uh, Austria and Germany from the from the Germans from the Nazis. But they had all these old different fruit trees on the grounds, and that's that's what what we ate the uh, two or three days we were there. Every morning you get up and you have a different type of jelly. You'd have like you know, probably 10 different varieties of jellies you could choose from because from the bounty of of their of their uh, property. You know, they had all different types of berries. It was it was definitely that was probably the most impressive part of that experience to me was the was the variety of jellies offered. I mean, the history was cool and the view was awesome, but the jellies—you couldn't were great. beat the jellies. Yeah, it was crazy because they just had like they had groves of trees, you know, and it's like, oh, my mother makes all these jellies, you know, like <laughs> it was just nothing for them. It's like, what kind of jelly you want? Oh, you want this berry? We got uh, we got lingonberry. Oh, we got pear jelly stuff that I would never even like. I never have any desire to actually eat a pear. But present me with Austrian homemade pear jelly, and I'm eating it. <laughs> so I was pretty. How so can you that's beat that? My encounter with jelly. That listen, that beats my encounter with jelly. Angie's well, aunt. Angie's aunt is certainly not a Habsburg. She's a wonderful, wonderful woman, but uh, she can't compete with that with the Habsburgs. Yeah, I guess I ate the royal jelly. Um, <laughs> You know, maybe maybe we can get him to start shipping the jelly from Austria over to New Jersey to sell at the farmer's market. I could get a premium for that. Yeah, yeah. You know, royal jelly. Same jelly eaten by General Patton in World War II. <laughs> <laughs> All right, get on that for me, will you? I'm getting, yeah, I'm getting we'll bored that. not having a job. Yeah. Ludwig von Beethoven might have eaten that jelly at one time. Mozart might have eaten that jelly. <laughs> uh, um, good job. Are you still in touch with that guy? I'm Facebook friends with him. I mean, I don't know if we're going to be able to sell this jelly uh, market or anything. But... <laughs> no, no, no. The reason I ask is because um, we are, for some reason pretty big in Germany. Two Sorry Excuses um, top three uh, countries are the United States 
El Salvador, and Germany. Oh, well, it's good to hear Fredo's listening. Well, Fredo's listening, which is great, because I thought we might have alienated Fredo um, in one of our earlier episodes, and I, I felt really bad for a while. Yeah, um, well, that's why I kept qualifying everything with, he's a really good guy. <laughs> but I, I think it was like one of those conversations that if he was there in person, it 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 would have flowed the same way. Yeah, but it just seems it just seems a little more douchebaggery. Uh, it's got a higher level of douchebaggery when you're doing it, you know, kind of behind his back, in front of his yeah. face on the internet. But well, um, let's hold the thought on Fredo for a second. But uh, let's just keep in mind Austrians don't like to be confused with Germans. Well, so I doubt Lorenz is listening to us if we're popular in Germany. Well, that that was my mistake because I had um, originally looked at regions. Um, and I had thought that perhaps that was the greater Germanic region, uh, that we were big in, but, um, it is in fact the country itself. Who do you know in Germany? I have no idea, man. I have no idea. Well, I can't think of anybody I know in Germany. Let's see. When, when did you travel over there in, uh, in Europe? That was 2007, 2008. Yeah, I Traveled roughly the same time. That's only like six or seven years ago, right? Yeah. So it's not like we have any illegitimate spawn who would be listening. Because it's six or seven. What six or seven-year-old German illegitimate, um, half-German, half-American tourist traveler kid is going to be listening to our podcast? Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting theory anyway. You have some illegitimate kids figuring out who his daddy is by a random podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, couple other things to note on uh, while we're breaking down our demographics. Mein Vater! <laughs> <laughs> um, the state of Massachusetts not only houses some of our best friends, um, but it, it houses the majority of the people who these stories are about. There yep. are more people in El Salvador. We have more downloads from El Salvador than we do from the entire state of Massachusetts. Fredo is outpacing 90% of our friends who would legitimately be interested in some of this shit that we're talking about. Well, it just goes to reinforce my old theory. <laughs> What's that? People from Massachusetts are assholes. <laughs> 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 well, listen, while I would normally agree um, under some circumstances, I would never agree um, that people from Dorchester are assholes. And especially not this week, because uh, Brian Peters and Carla Franceschi Green, Peters, hyphen, parentheses, maybe, um, had donated um, a um, – have, have made a donation to my – um, my polar bear plunge uh, okay. campaign, uh, as well as Mike Reardon. So nice. we're getting some love out of Massachusetts for, um, well, at least my, you know, my own selfish purposes. Yeah. So I know it doesn't help you any, but no, they're okay no. in my book this week. Yeah, I'm all right with uh, with Dorchester. I guess. I guess. Beverly's another story? Yeah, Beverly's a totally different story. 
especially if you start dealing with places like Manchester by the sea. (laughs) (laughs) All those little idyllic towns up there. Um, No, I'd like to see those statistics, but I don't think I have access to them like you do. Yeah, I'll um, I'll get you access to them. All right, because I'm I I thrive on looking at random stuff like that. Yeah, uh, every week after after I um, so we do this on a Thursday. Sometime Thursday afternoon, we'll send a text to each other just to kind of give uh, any listener um, break down the the fourth wall and give them a little insight made. into our madness. Yes. Um. Sometime Thursday afternoon, there'll be a text either from you or to you um, regarding thoughts about tonight's show. It's usually, is there going to be a show? Is there going? Are we going to record a podcast tonight? That's usually the first one, and yep. it's usually in the affirmative. Yeah, yep, I'm in. Are you in? Yeah, great, no problem. And then we 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 discuss. Uh, a light format and possible topics. We rip off a few different things. Obviously, it centers around any uh, games that happen to have happened to have have happened. Say that fast. Haven't have been played. Have been played uh, in yes. the past week, and any upcoming games that we're going to preview or chat about, and then just a bunch of random, loosely connected topics that we'll bullshit about. Um, you know, at any at any length. Um. But then when I sit down on Friday to uh, Friday morning, I, I edit, you know, the intro. I kind of drop some stuff in and, you know, upload it to, to iTunes and, and everybody can listen to it on Friday. I start to think, like, you know, uh, really about show development. Like, man, you know what we really need? We need a new intro. Like, it'd be great if somebody could make us a song. You know, that would be awesome. This way I wouldn't have to edit. I could just, We could just play the cool song and then go yeah. right into the podcast. Oh, you know what would also be cool? Is if we can get, like, a graphic artist to, like, really design a, a cool um, logo, you know, around our uh, Jimmy B or Mrs. B picture. And, you know, that would be cool to put that up there. Oh, you know what else I really need? I really need to do some, like, you know search engine marketing so people who you know know about Syracuse or, or doing some like search engine work on you know Syracuse basketball might stumble across our podcast but then you know five o'clock Friday comes and I pour a couple vodka grapefruits and then it's all good intentions until the following Thursday so um, yeah I'm gonna make a note this week to make to get you um, access to that to that server data it's pretty cool it's, it's pretty interesting you uh, yeah I mean I'm I like uh I like data like that. You'll have some fun with it. Statistics. So, all right, man. Uh, Well, then on with the show. Um, Speaking of loosely gathered topics, we've got a bunch of stuff this week. Yeah, uh, I mean, there was a cover. There's been some, uh, you know, stuff bubbling up, you know, going on. Uh, I don't know what you want to cover first. I don't know if you want to cover the BS, you know, topics first, or do we want to. You know, um, one thing that happened, and I first read about it in a story on Syracuse.com this weekend after we had last recorded our show. And hell, I just got on Syracuse.com just now, and it's a top story again. uh, You know, there's an election going on right now, or there's going to be one going on in New York State. Uh, 
And uh, I don't know if you know anything about the history of the Carrier Dome, but that was built basically as part of an election promise in the late 70s. You know, when they got the money, when a guy was running for governor in New York, I'm not sure who it is now. And Syracuse was playing in Archibald Stadium, which was at that time probably almost an 80-year-old stadium. I think it might have been built in 1903 or something like that. Okay. And, you know, they were thinking about dropping football or at least dropping from the top level. And they're like, we need something. So, like, guys running for governors passing through Syracuse. And the university went up to him and was like, hey, why don't you give us uh you know, they were thinking they were asking for so much more money than they would ever get. But they were like, just throw the number at him and maybe it'll give us less than that and we can build a stadium. He's like, what? I think they asked him for $15 million, And he's like, sure, I'll give you all that and more. And I think it ended up costing $25 million to build the carrier dome, the story goes. Yeah, 20, you know, and that's basically how the carrier dome got built. Twenty six, uh, twenty six million. Um, it doesn't say who the who the governor was. Um, Archibald Stadium was built at the turn of the century. Yeah. So it opened in nineteen oh seven. So okay, they'd played there for seventy years before the um before the dome came in a discussion but it does not um doesn't say who the who the benefactor was yeah so, well if you want to do a little bit more research but you don't need to do that now that's something we should have done before the show <laughs> <laughs> well that would have that would have broken our mo exactly which is why we didn't do it <laughs> well here we are the dome is about is 30 plus years old now you know daryl gross apparently is you know, he has put out some statements before this about the dome either needs to be rebuilt or something. Well, over the weekend, a story comes out uh, where uh, they had thrown some ideas. I think Joni Mahoney, who's the Onondaga County Supervisor, and maybe some uh, people from SU got with uh, the governor of New York, Cuomo. As he was coming through there, and they were talking about building a new, as they called it, just a sports arena, seating up to about 40,000 people possibly, and it would be built in this place um, called Kennedy Square, which is where Section 8 housing used to be, and I looked it up today to see where it is. It's, you know, um, where Fagan's was on South Krause Ave. Yeah. You know, just like a block off of Marshall Street or something. If you keep going down the hill, about five or six blocks, I guess it seems to be. You know, you go past East Genesee Street, you come to East Fayette Street. And right there, you know, it was where Kennedy Square Apartments would be. And the idea that they were thinking is that they could build a new... Uh, fancy football stadium. They figure we probably don't need more than 40,000 seats. You know, and the ho- the uh, the basketball team could play there too, and even the local hockey team. Well, then uh, part the other thing going on while this story was popping up was, well, they're going to pay for this, but the mayor of Syracuse was just, at the same time, was begging for millions of dollars for the governor for other things that the city definitely needed such as uh, fixing the roads and stuff. So uh, as quick as the story flared up, uh, you know, it, the the mayor put the kibosh on it. Then uh, 
the new chancellor started his term just this Monday. So he had to come out on Tuesday and make a statement like, no, 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 we're going to work with the city or whatever if we need to do this. We're not going to force our hand. So now, you know, and then since then, Daryl Gross is coming out saying, well, maybe we can renovate the dome. He's talking about putting a retractable roof on it. Uh, it's It's blowing up. You know, it's coming to the fore, whatever the case is. Within the next five to ten years, I guess we're going to see a new, whether it's a renovated dome or what, they're going to be playing somewhere new. Who knows what it's going to be. But I don't know what you're going to do if you were going to retrofit the dome with a with a retractable roof. You know, what's going to happen for the basketball team? I can't believe that's going to happen overnight, you know. Like, seems like it would be a lengthy project. And where the hell else could Syracuse play on campus or in the city of Syracuse that meets the needs of the fan base in terms of size? There's no other arena. The biggest arena left in the city right now only seats about 6,500 people. So, I don't know. There's a lot, a lot of more, a lot of things to figure out before they go ahead with this. Well, there's a couple problems with that. I, I, if you take that venue off campus. Yeah. I mean, you got a hard enough time getting people to the football games these days when the student body literally needs to roll out of bed to yeah. get into the building. I mean, the, Syracuse is, is is relatively accessible um, between the downtown area and the campus these days. Um with you know Cantor's efforts and the you know the 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 bridge to downtown and and that whole thing that we've covered before, but she doesn't seem to be too popular though with the local population though. Well, it, it, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I read the I was reading some of these comments when they had the stories about her stepping down and the locals up there they didn't seem to care for her too much. Cantor. Yes, Cantor. Yeah. Well, I was I was wondering if it was Joni Mahoney. No, no, we, Joni we Mahoney. About. I don't know what they think about her. You know, I don't know what they think about Stephanie Minor. It can't be any worse than Mayor Roy Bernardi, who was the mayor when we were there. Well, we went to some event. It was during the summer. It was like I think the Jazz Fest or the Blues Fest or whatever. And he got up there, and they and all the people in the audience were booing the hell out of that guy. So it can't be that bad. Um, now here's why I'm not, uh, why I'm not so turned off by the Kennedy Square location. Um, I've actually, I actually have a sentimental attachment, um, to that housing complex. Is that right? (laughs) Senior year, um, was right when... The f- like the first of those reality TV shows like Real World and you know those MTV yeah you know kind of Big Brother type shows started and I thought it would be one night we were just kind of sitting around uh, after after work at the bars deciding um, or you know just kind of contemplating uh, how cool it would be to videotape the entire senior year. And um, it had to be like in August. Yeah, it was. It was literally, literally one of the first weeks of school, and um, 
Peters and I were, you know, just kind of chatting and, oh, that would be pretty cool. That would be kind of fun. And um, we walk out of the uh, we walk out of the bar and he had the Crown Vic uh, parked in front. Yep. So we're about to get in and this guy comes up and he says, hey, you guys want to buy a video camera? <laughs> and it was like kismet. I was like, Peters, this is it, man. This is it. This is our chance. I'm sure he was a totally reputable character. He was too. an absolutely reputable character. And Peters, who's usually, um, you know, kind of like a Jiminy Cricket voice of reason when it comes to, you know, these type of shenanigans, yeah. says, well, all right. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So the three of us hop into the Crown Vic, um, drive to an ATM machine. I get out 100 bucks. And we drive to the Kennedy Square uh, projects or uh, Kennedy Square housing complex. And I get out with this guy while Peters is sitting, you know, kind of at the curb on the entrance. And we kind of walk into, you know, the the low rises and and we're kind of making our way back to the, you know, back to the the heart of the of the complex. And the guy said, all right, well. You give me the money and you wait here. <laughs> and I hand him the money and I said, wait a minute. I want to come with you. And he's like, no, you can't come with me, man. These, these aren't the kind of guys, these aren't the kind of guys you want to meet. They're selling, they're selling video cameras. You don't want to meet them. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, no, I want to come. I want to come get, get, or give me my money back. And the guy looks me in the eye. He goes, "Do you know where you are? Nobody would even know you went missing." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh." And he's like, "So come on, you want to meet the guy? Let's go meet the guy." And I'm like, "Oh shit! What have I gotten myself into?" Yeah. So I'm like, "No, no, I don't want to meet the guy." He's like, "All right, then you stay right here. Don't move, or somebody might get the wrong idea." And he disappears, and about. 20 minutes go by and I realize he's not coming back with my video camera. But now I have a choice to make. I got to get back out of this projects the same way I came in in order to find Peters or else I'm going to be lost. I have no cell phone. You know, it's a, it's two yeah. o'clock in the morning. It's pretty cell phone times. I don't know how to get back. But luckily, I was able to kind of retrace my steps and um, find Peters literally two minutes before he was ready to take off and go find the cops. He's like, I thought you were dead, man. I knew I knew you were going to be dead. I knew I was going to go find the cops, and I know we were going to come in there, and we were going to find you, and you were going to be dead. What were you thinking? I was like, I don't know. He's like, all right, but where's the camera? Let's at least see the camera. And I'm like... I don't have a camera, man. He's like, I knew it. I knew it. If I didn't find you dead, I would find you without a camera and without a hundred bucks. Let's get the hell out of here. So we had to turn tail and, and go home a hundred dollars lighter and no video camera to document our senior year with. And thus the great video senior year was never filmed. So I wouldn't mind uh, seeing a football stadium built on the imprint of what once was a, a den of thievery. I'm sure if you go to the rubble now, there might be a video camera and all underneath <laughs> all that rubble. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> lesson learned, man. Lesson learned. Yeah. All, unfortunately, it was not the only time that I've been duped out of money for false goods or services. But what are you going to do? I mean, what? I guess part of it, though, they probably think if they built it there, I think it might be 15 acres or something, that they probably have a parking lot and have, you know, way better tailgating and the local fans might want to come in, you know. Listen, I don't know. I don't. I, think, I don't like the idea of taking it that far down from campus. Though. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not one of those people who likes to preserve tradition for the sake of preserving tradition. But the fact that you know that there's a forty thousand seat football three thirty thousand seat football stadium. No, what's a football stadium? 50, forty thousand. Uh, forty nine for yes, football. For, yes. Right on campus, it borders the 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 quad. You can yep. see it from the quad. You can see it from every dorm on campus, and it's the you know it's the centerpiece of our athletic program. And even better, you can do the freshman stomp in it. <laughs> do you remember the freshman stomp? No, it's the freshman stomp. You know how you can stand between the ridges and the dome and you jump up and down. It makes like that pew, pew, pew. Right, 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 right. They, they call that the freshman stomp because only freshmen yeah, do it? Yeah, that's what some people have called it. When I, I remember people referring to it as the freshman stomp because I guess it's, you know, when you're a freshman, it's the one, of, one of the first things you do. I was actually just thinking about uh, the dome today because uh, I was driving back from a meeting and – um. There is a uh, there's a bubble here. Um, it's uh, it's an ath- it's a track facility, but it just has uh, a pressurized um, a pressurized dome bubble over it. Yeah. To make it an indoor facility, and it's it's the same basic same technology as as the carrier dome. You know the pressurized. Um, yeah, a Teflon roof. Exactly, and mm-hmm. I remember walking in and out of those. In and out of those doors that uh, that weren't the revolving doors. They were the emergency doors. And as the dome depressurizes, it throws you through those those doorways. You need to hold on to your hat if you're wearing a hat. Absolutely. Yep. So, I mean, there's it, – it, it's, a, it's a – it's not a perfect – venue by any stretch of the imagination and it certainly does need some renovation and it's it's, named after an air conditioning company yet it has no air conditioning exactly exactly it's it it's it's not the most beautiful bell at the ball but you know what there's something to be said for the fact that it's on campus you know it's the centerpiece of our athletic uh our athletic program and you know it gets the job done it's fifty thousand seats yep that you don't have to go find anymore. Yeah, they're there. I mean, I, I I wouldn't want us to. I wouldn't want to see us playing off campus. Yeah, and, even if it is only like a mile down the road. I still don't want to see it. There's something to be said for, uh, you know, the potential of of introducing tailgating. You know, yeah. to to the to the to the uh, to the stadium. Um, it's something that we don't have right now. You know, the parking doesn't allow for it. The layout yeah, of the stadium just, doesn't allow for it. Yeah, um, the logistics of everything right now is just kind of lousy. I don't know if people would be 
you know, quick to pick that up, but it, it would be, you know, it would add another dimension um, to the experience. But still, you know, at what cost? I think people do, you know, well enough for what we have, you know, in terms of pregame and and that. It, it, yeah. If we turn into, you know, a, a national power. We turn into you know a, a regional draw with the likes of a Penn State or even the, the likes of a Boston College. Then that's something to consider. But well, I don't like the ideas of downgrading our attendance. You know, it's like why would we why would we be moving a stadium with ten thousand less seats? Yeah, you know, saying for football, I mean, we just moved up to a better conference. Why are we going to like lower our expectations? Yeah, when listen. We were there, they were putting fifty thousand people in the stadium. No, I mean that's true. You're absolutely right. I don't always, I, I don't always find that to be a, a drawback when you're talking about, um, when you're talking about venues because in terms of like the ticket business and the ticket industry, um, that might actually increase the allure that actually might increase the draw because you're right we would fill the the stadium when 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 we were there you put a good team you know another two three more years of what Schaefer's doing with the football team I think we could you know get there again but you're talking about the scarcity of tickets you're talking well uh, right about the driving the market exactly Exactly. Yeah. You know, increasing increasing the appeal and decreasing the supply um, would certainly make. Look at it this way: You're moving to a smaller stadium, it's that many more. Make it's that many more games that Gross is going to want to move to New Jersey. <laughs> I mean, he's probably trying to figure a way to get Florida State to play in New Jersey next year, since they're supposed to visit us there. I heard that he actually has a call into uh, Governor Christie, the governor of New Jersey, trying to figure out how to build the new football stadium in New Jersey yeah. across the river from New York. Oh, we'll have Centro buses gone from Syracuse to New Jersey. <laughs> Every football game yeah, would be park a park on South Campus. You know, for a 12 o'clock start, you go park in South Campus at 5 a.m., and by kickoff, you'll be in the stadium. Every game would be a 36-hour excursion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that guy, that guy, so, that guy loves himself. Oh, he's he loves ass. him some salt. He loves him some Daryl Gross. He certainly does. <laughs> he certainly does. I I just hope that there's another uh, higher higher profile job somewhere in the Pac-10 that opens up soon, so he can head back to that. Yeah, no kidding. You know, there's got to be somebody. You know, somebody that likes the idea of like the fans not having to travel four or five hours to see their team play quality out of conference competition in <laughs> 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 a home game, right? <laughs> Which is, I mean, ah, forget it, man. We can we talk about we can talk about that, and we do all the time over and over and yeah. over again on just what a bad move that is. Yes, Notre Dame's not giving up their home games to play us in New Jersey, and you know, you know that they build this new stadium, and he's going to continue to take games out of it, regardless of the location or. 
regardless of the appeal of the of the physical building retractable roof no retractable roof downtown on campus air conditioned not air conditioned you know field turf real uh, stadium grass what it doesn't matter it no, could be the most the whole- state of the art facility and he's still going to move games out of it yeah i you know what i'm sorry Daryl gross Syracuse isn't in Manhattan. Deal with it. Suck it, Daryl Gross. Yes. You can go work at Rutgers or some bullshit like that, you know? Yeah. Go try to turn Monmouth into a powerhouse. (laughs) Turn them into New York's team or some BS. You know? It's just, it's annoying. It's annoying that we're already seeding any like advantage we had by play by play at a home game right away. You know, we're giving up the crowd like Penn State. Okay. They play in a hundred thousand seat stadium. They represent a huge state, Pennsylvania. And we're gonna go play a game, you know, in an eighty thousand seat stadium that is very accessible to their people. That's stupid. It makes agree no sense. Disagree. hundred percent agree. It makes no sense. Yes. It's it's asinine. But yep. he he showed that that's what he's gonna do. Yep. Uh one other Syracuse uh building story I saw. Speaking of tradition for tradition's sake. Yes. Um Carnegie Library was renovated. And it reopened this week. And uh, now, before little- before you drop that, <clears throat> for those who are listening, Carnegie Library should immediately come to mind in terms of local campus lore. It, it, when you told me this story, it certainly did for me, and I knew exactly what you yeah, where you were going. Into one of the you know the the interesting feature of the renovation. I mean, so, should we say it? Yeah, so now everybody's yeah. locked it in. They know what we're, they know where yes. we're going to go with this, and and if they don't, they should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah, anybody who showed up the campus as a freshman knows about this. You can now ex- access Carnegie Library through the front doors, up the steps. You know why is that? Tell them why that's interesting, Sanders. Because up until is it this. Is it this semester or or? I believe just- it's this semester because I just saw it the other day. Uh, I googled it. and I got pictures. Of, I'm looking at their actual website. Uh, there's also naming opportunities now. Uh, I know you're trying to raise what four grand for your dip in the lake. Yeah, uh, one. I'm, I'm trying to raise a thousand uh, and hope to raise fifteen hundred. Okay, well, for two million dollars, we if we raise two million, we can get the. Uh, renovated silent reading room to be named the two sorry excuses <laughs> silent reading room well we're gonna need a uh, uh, limited edition fundraising a special edition podcast yeah do. i mean where well, we have about 50 loyal listeners we can sell them one of those special podcasts for about ten thousand dollars a piece <laughs> uh the main entrance in vestibule is gone for 750 uh the lounge area is 500k uh, maybe a lounge area, yeah. Maybe just one of those chairs might be feasible. You know, so, I don't know if we could do the whole lounge area, but a chair you could probably get for about two grand. So the um, Carnegie Library is what is on the is on the south side of the campus uh, of the quad. 
I've it, never been really good at those cardinal directions. So if if Fagan's <laughs> if Fagan's yeah, it's uh, the opposite is, side from Fagan's. Fagan's is is the north side of yeah. the quad. So it's it's the south side of the quad. It it's it's right on the quad, right? Or yeah, yeah. And it's got those those huge um, flights of stairs that up until this week led nowhere. Yep. Those front doors were locked. Now they'd always they they'd always tell you that you could always tell a freshman um, from an upperclassman because they would attempt to use the front doors uh, at the top of the stairs. But did they ever tell you why the front doors were locked? Uh, they didn't say why they were locked. I mean, they were just, as far as we know, they were just sealed off. You know, and, I don't think they were just locked. I think they were just completely sealed, you know? And behind it, because this is funny, um, you know, I'm looking at the picture now, and how you would get into the building were two uh, ground floor doors on either side of the steps that kind of led you to whatever classrooms you were in. And I had a few like classes a in there. Science and tech library in there, I believe. It was a what? I think there was like a science and tech library in there because I remember freshman year having to do some project uh, for one of these science classes and the book I had to run, the book I had to, uh, to borrow was in that library and you go through a background entrance. It was very weird. You know, it's this big, beautiful building. You go through these dark lousy entrances like yeah, almost like a catacombs kind of deal yeah yep and uh allegedly there would be you know loads of people would sit on the steps you know yes. just like people sit in hendrix chapel steps yeah but allegedly there were these dickish upperclassmen who were sitting there waiting for freshmen to go up the steps just just so that they could mock them you know, people with nothing better to do with their time, I imagine. Because not one point in my SU career was I ever like, hey, let's go to Carnegie Library and see if we can fuck with freshmen. Yeah. At no point in my in my Syracuse career was I like, hey, let's go to Carnegie Library. Exactly. Let alone to fuck with somebody. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, um, let's see, August. The tradition's over. How are they going to do it? I mean, back in the day, up until the '60s, when everybody started going haywire, you know, uh, and all the, um, you know, when the youth started revolting, you used to be able to tell the freshmen because they had to wear beanies at Syracuse. <laughs> then there was Carnegie Library. How are we going to tell who the freshmen are now? I guess the original, um, the original uh, main entrance was blocked off to make um, room for renovations. To add classrooms and and meeting rooms and such, I guess to take advantage of that, you know, yeah, open corridor space they converted that into um, classrooms. So they closed off the front doors, but yeah, but but I really want to know how how they're gonna find out who the freshmen are now. How is some dickish upperclassman gonna? You know, finger the freshman. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Very good. Very good. Uh, How will they now be hazed? How will they be identified? There has to be something freshmen do. You know? I don't know. 
Well, we'll have to find out. Yeah. We'll have to find out. Oh, that's too bad. That's too bad. I, I sometimes, like I said, I, I'm not, I'm not one who believes in nostalgia for nostalgia's sake. But I don't know. Sometimes things are just okay the way they are. Yep. Although, look at the pictures of that renovated reading room. I don't know if it looked that nice when I was there, but I, I kind of wish I would have gone in there. It looks very good. Uh, I'll tell you, I was trying to remember as we're having this conversation, I was running through um, times I would have been in Carnegie Library, and I think freshman year maybe I had a, a recitation or two down on like the first or, or zero floor. Yeah. So I never went. I never went up to those, to those reading rooms. Yeah, it's it's downright beautiful. I never had a class in that building. Yeah, the classrooms were pretty miserable. Um, I, I think it's there's a first floor, but there's also a zero floor or a, yeah, a, a basement floor. floor. They were they were pretty bi- they were pretty abysmal. But um, yeah, the building itself is pretty sweet. Yeah, I mean, it was always a cool-looking building. I'm sure it was all lousy when we were there because it was probably all moldering. You know, the fact that they had to do this huge renovation to begin with is probably a sign that was probably, you know, they had some dumpy build, dumpy old buildings on campus when we were there. Um, Like Slocum Hall, that was kind of a dumpy building. Yeah, you know, they were, they were kind of majestic in their architecture, but really, really buildings. drab in there. Yeah. You know. Because they their... were built 100 years ago, and they really never put much money into them since. Yeah, and the windows and, and yeah. you know, kind of the ventilation and kind of really made all those buildings kind of stuffy. and Yeah. You know, I felt... mean, um, Hall Languages was a nice building because I had lots of classes in there. You know, yeah. they had renovated right before I got there. So. Well, that was one of those buildings, though, that it they the renovation didn't match the the carpets didn't match the drapes kind of deal. Yeah, that like it, they had rounded hallways and and rounded corridors, but then all of a sudden you you know kind of a there'd be a cutout of a classroom and the you know like a like a brand new wall would kind of jut out. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, it kind of ruined the inside aesthetic, but um, it was still like the classrooms were nice. Like once you got inside, well, that's what I liked. They had those big windows, and you could literally sit inside the window bays. Right. You know, I used to sit up in there during the class because you know, because it was cool. You know, like that. It was a cool old building. You know. Yeah. That and Kraus, that was a cool old building. Um, the music school. The one up on the, it was the, yeah, the one with the big old staircase leading. Yeah, up to it. that was a great building. It had the bells, you know, and every day they'd play the bells. Um, but then there were a couple miserable, you know, neo-modern buildings that they kind of just dumped. Yeah, uh, that stuff that they built like in the fifties and sixties, like HBC and exactly. Yeah, HBC. The the only cool thing about it was the. Uh, was the mosaic of the passion of Sacco and Vanzetti on the side. Yes. You know, besides that, it was just a lame, modernist, you know, cracker box looking building. It was yeah. terrible. 
Uh, I mean, I guess we could go on Syracuse architecture all day. (laughs) (laughs) But should we? Should we? Uh, Let's move on, man. Let's move on. Listen, we got a ton of stuff uh, still to cover, but, um, you know, we're running a little short. Let's, um, I've been really wanting to tackle this Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Um, And Oscars came out today. Um, let's let's chat for a few minutes at least. Um, okay, yeah, that's fine with me. Kind of talk about Wolf of Wall, Wall Street. Street. Um, I saw it uh, right when it came out. I think it came out two weeks ago. I saw it. Um, came out Christmas Day, right? Did it come out Christmas Day or a week after? Oh, it came out Christmas Day. Yeah. Okay, y- and I saw right. it like in the. Uh, I saw it between that time and New Year's, I believe. Yes. So did I. Um, yeah. Now I didn't. All the the only thing I really heard about it in terms of hype before I saw it was um, that the original cut was four hours long. Yeah, and, I heard they had had to lop so much of it off, and it got uh, originally got an NC seventeen tag for um, various uh, offenses. I guess apparently it broke the record for the amount of times they say fuck in a movie. Does it really? Yeah, I heard that it broke the record for that. Like it, it has way more fucks than Goodfellas, even. I think between that and obviously the nudity and 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 drug use, um, yeah, you know, kind of made it a little risque. But um, I think it was done really well. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was for a three hour movie. It was uh, thoroughly entertaining. Yeah, and there weren't too many parts that they could have taken out. You know, every once yeah. in a while, you're like, listen, they could have shortened that story by half an hour. I didn't need to see. You know? Well, that's what I'm wondering, because Scorsese, I think, was getting pissed that they were going to have to cut any of it out. You know, so I'm sure we're going to get the director's cut when that goes to DVD. But I'm wondering, you know, if he thought this other stuff was, you know, indispensable, what the hell's, you know, what was in there, you know? Yeah, right. The stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor. That's what I'm really curious about. Because I don't, was, I don't know what, I don't know what more you could have done there without uh, throwing any spoilers out. Um, they they pretty much covered almost anything you could imagine, anything that could have made your jaw drop, or anything that could have made you go, "Oh wow, all right, I finally seen that in a movie." Uh, yeah, they they covered some crazy topics in that movie. Like there was some stuff, you know, like you know, stuff that we know goes on, but you know, you rarely see it uh, portrayed in Hollywood movies, or at least Hollywood movies that are made by major studios and not by uh, companies like Vivid or Wicked. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like the like the level of uh, sexual deviance in the world. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was it was insane. The cool thing about um, the cool thing about the movie uh, is it's it's told in that um, that point of view or that narrative um, that some of those great you know uh, epic you know semi biopic movies are made like uh, Goodfellas. Well, I couldn't help but to compare it to Goodfellas. It, it, I was in there because it was very much. In the style of Goodfellas, except from the, except the guy is a stockbroker, 
you know, instead of a mobster. It was very much the scene, the, the whole story arc and everything, you know? Well, that's why I think it works It works well the same way Goodfellas works in, in, in not only the story arc, but also in the narrative that they use, which is kind of like a, a first-person voiceover, um, you know, point-of-view retelling of a past life. Yeah. And it's because... Uh, the mob and Wall Street are are pretty similar in the sense that most people know they exist, but they don't know how they work, and they certainly never come closer to you know those particular lifestyles than watching them in a movie. You know, yeah, yeah, totally. So it, it kind of personalizes it, and it you know it kind of you know it kind of breaks it down a little bit, and yeah, it makes um, the characters look like regular old schmoes like you or me. Absolutely. And yeah. I think that like it, it that's why a three-hour movie about what is essentially a, sh- a stock scam, yeah, can go by like no time is gone at all, and kind of keep you on the edge of your seat, even though there's not a ton of action. You know, there's a lot going on. No, but no. like Goodfellas, you know, there's there's no big chase scene. There's no you know there's no big shootout. There's no big you know climax at the end of act three it's just you're following along and you kind of get engrossed in the story and it's really similar to goodfellas in in that sense yeah um, i there's stuff i want to say but then i'm afraid that'll be ruining it for somebody who might be listening to this who didn't see it all right well if you uh, no, if you haven't seen it yet if you're listening to this right now and you haven't seen it yet um this is a spoiler alert so um Fast forward to the one minute, uh, to the one hour and five minute mark of this, and we'll no longer be spoiling Wolf of Wall Street for you. How's that? I mean, I don't think it's not like so hardcore of a spoiler, but you might not want to hear it if you saw it. Like, you know, there's a part in the movie where, you know, where he agrees to, to go, to come clean, you know. This is a spoiler alert, I guess. (laughs) You know, the, you know, part where he's like, you're like, oh, okay, he's going to leave the company. He's going to get away from all this. But you know it's not going to happen because you know the way the story ends because everybody walks in there and knows the way the story ends. Right, right. You know? Yeah. And then it's just like, damn. It's like, you know, you shake your head even though you knew what was going to happen. But you're like, he could have walked away scot-free, you know? Never, uh, you know, not that he was punished that much anyway in the end. Right. But he, but he had the, he had an opportunity to just get the hell out, and you know his own hubris screwed him. Yeah, no, you know, absolutely. Yeah, I mean it's, it's a, it's a really interesting movie. Um, while we're we have a free pass in terms of spoilers, um, the uh, the country club quaalude scene. Oh, that was that was phenomenal. Unbelievable, probably one of the best. Uh, one of the best scenes that I've seen How in a long time. How inspired by a cartoon of Popeye gone to his spinach. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and he and, drives. Uh, here's another spoiler alert. If you didn't see it, you don't want to hear this. Um, his father is Darth Vader. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I would that really say, took that really threw me for a loop there. I would say the um um the the Quaalude scene everything from him 
you know, passing out in the in the um in the golf club, in the country club at yeah. the payphone to driving home to the Popeye to the Jonah Hill thing um is is probably right up there with the um with the Goodfellas uh Pittsburgh connection scene. Yeah, yeah. When he's running through and he's like, yeah, even with, you know, so-and-so snorting as much as she cuts, uh, I can still make the Pittsburgh connection and be ready to go. In terms of like... I had to watch the sauce. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) There's so much going on um, that it's really, it's one of the best scenes in a movie I've seen in a long time. Yeah, the whole thing, when when he drives home from the country club, finally gets in the car, drives home and he's like, He's narrating. He's like, I didn't hit. You know, I made it home with, without a scratch on my car. <laughs> and then the next day when the cops come and wake him up. What yeah. um, what would you uh, what would you say in terms of uh, in terms of Goodfellas? Is it on par? Yeah, I think it's I it's. I mean, I guess if you're a Goodfellas guy. You probably won't find it on par. Like, you know, Brian Peters might not find it the same level, but to me, but some people are just more seduced by the mob aspects of it. But I, I couldn't help from right away. Five minutes in the movie, I'm like, this is like Goodfellas. It starts out the same way. Hump, guy from Humble Origins, you know, who ends up on top of the world basically only to be, only to have a great fall, which really isn't even that bad of a fall in the end. Yeah. No, it really, it really wasn't. Um, and he he makes himself a, a sympathetic character. Yes. Despite the fact that, you know, you really shouldn't have no sympathy or empathy for, you know, for a guy like yeah, him. You should think that he's a huge douchebag, which he was. Right. You know, but but you're actually kind of getting into his story, you know. Um, in terms of, in terms of. Wall Street themed movies. Where do you think it? Where do you think it? It uh, it measures up against movies like Boiler Room, Wall Street, or Wall Street. I mean, Wall Street is such a high standard. I mean, that's like the quintessential Wall Street movie. Yep. You know, uh, and I guess even if you get into like a, um, I guess you can technically call Trading Places a Wall Street style movie. Yeah, that's on my list. Those are the three: Boiler Room, Wall Street, Trading Places. Yeah, I mean, I would put it up there. It's see the reason that people probably won't put it the same as Goodfellas is because you know people look at Wall Street people as as different than them, you know. Whereas mobsters are kind of like they're different than us, but they're they're people you're related to. You know, they're immigrants. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, so, uh, so I think like people, people, I think people can relate to a mobster way more than they can relate to a to a guy that works on Wall Street. But as far as Wall Street movies go, yeah, it's it's got to be in the pantheon now. Um, I would say one of the reasons I it, it probably won't hold up over time uh, as well as Goodfellas did, but. One of the reasons it's the same reason why it probably should hold up as well is because it doesn't have the star power that Goodfellas did. I mean, yeah. Good, Goodfellas top to bottom, you know, just has layers and layers of star power. You know, like Ray Liotta. Ray Liotta, um, 
<laughs> you know, De Niro, Joe Pesci. I'm always like, when's the next Leota movie coming out? <laughs> <laughs> Lorraine Bracco. I mean, those those yes. those actors ended up making, you know, making a career out of. Lorraine Bracco really made it. She was dating Jason Sapola for a while. Jason Sapola? Yes, only like like during the Soprano years. She might still be dating Jason Sapola. Come on. N- Google that. Oh, and by the way, we we're not giving out any more spoilers for Wolf of Wall Street. Yes, we are done spoiling Wolf of Wall Street. Okay, Jason Sapola one uh looks it's like he's put on a little weight. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. This is insane. <laughs> How did I not know this? I don't know, man. I I think they might have a story on Syracuse.com years ago when um when the Sopranos was like in the middle of its run, you know? Um I think he was actually he might have actually been working in movies. You know, because, surprise, surprise, he's not like some white-collar dude. All right, he's born, she, she's born in 54. That makes her almost 60. Yeah, she's like 20 years older than him. That is, un- how did I not know this? <laughs> oh, okay, Thank not only is he not me. playing basketball, he was only, he was a driver. Yeah, I knew it was something like that. Like he was on the uh, the peripheries of entertainment. Wait, I'm not too familiar with the entertainment. Does a driver literally mean he drives the car around? Yeah, I think that's what it is. Because like probably drives it back and forth from the set and stuff like that. Now, there's something in in entertainment that is um, there's a show runner, and that's no, that's yeah, but that's a serious job. That's right. like a guy that writes the shit. That's in charge of the show. Right. Okay. You know, um, but but I know they got people who are literally driving you around. That is insane. Yeah, I, well, you can't find too much. <laughs> uh, Yahoo answer poll: Will I watch Lorraine Bracco and Jason Sapola having sex? <laughs> <laughs> Will you? Uh I, I think I'd have to pass on that one. <laughs> All right, well, I they guess. Refer to, one of these articles, they refer to Sapola as sportsman. <laughs> I don't, I mean. It's from the Telegraph. I don't necessarily know that I'm congratulating Jason Sapola for banging Lorraine Bracco, and I don't necessarily know if I'm congratulating Lorraine Bracco for nabbing Jason Sapola. Let's put it this way. He's probably living a pretty good life if he's still with her. Uh, yeah, I don't know, 2007. This is, where was this, when was this Telegraph one? This was June 20th, 2013. This this article was written. Oh, and I And it still referred, it says, this is from just this past June, because they wrote this uh, in the aftermath of, uh, of Gandolfini's death. Lorraine Bracco received a total of six Golden Globe and Emmy nominations for her performance as Tony Soprano's psychiatrist, Dr. Jennifer Melfi. Since the show finished, the actress has settled in Long Island with her partner, sportsman Jason Sapola, who she <laughs> met on the set. Sportsman. <laughs> yes. 
That means he has no job. That's like referring to us as orators. Yes. Oh, God. Sportsman. Well, uh, speaking of uh, Syracuse basketball. Which we haven't all night. We haven't all night. Um, Last last Saturday was a UNC game. That was appointment television. Yeah, Um, it was. I ended up... um, I ended up going to uh, a sports bar. I had something to do in the afternoon. Uh, Ange had a, a step competition up in um, like Central Jersey, so I ended up go- going up there early. Um, stomp the yard. Stomp the yard, exactly. <laughs> so I went up early, found a sports bar, watched the game, walked in. I was the only person in the bar. This place was a pretty big, like. Where was this at? This um, is in northern Jersey? Yeah, like central Jersey, kind of oh, okay. like Old Bridge, Woodbridge kind of area, Hunkabunka. One of the bridge towns. One of the bridge towns. And it was a huge um, it's a huge sports bar. I've seen Syracuse games there before. Sometimes I go with TD and her husband. And, um, you know, there's like 20 TVs and, and yeah. huge octagonal shaped bar. You know, oh, pretty, so this is this is little Teresa country, huh? This is little Teresa country, um, but it, it, it's it's your typical Central Jersey sports bar. You'll find UFC on, you know, whenever <laughs> UFC is on, the whole deal. <laughs> turn off like major champ, major sports championships for UFC fights. <laughs> uh, so I walk it's in overtime. I walk in and nobody is there. I'm the only person in. It's 12 o'clock on a Saturday. It was an early start. Yeah. But, I mean, still, who's not going to go out and... It's greater metro New York area. There's a ton of alumni here, you know? Yeah. So I sit down and and literally was the only person in the bar for, you know, the first hour. So the first half of the game. And then a couple other old guys kind of came in. I guess they, you know, eat their lunches there or whatever. Um, They sat down. And, you know, just kind of looked at around, you know, as I'm watching the game and I'm thinking, man, you know, if I ever get to the point where I'm sitting in a bar, you know, when I'm in my 50s or 60s or middle age and, you know, I'm coming just to eat lunch and hang out, you know, by myself in a sports bar in the middle of a day on a rainy Saturday. And I'm like, wait a minute, I am that guy. I I am these guys. I'm looking at these guys. These guys are me. You know, and they didn't have a vested interest in the basketball game, but you know, maybe they were there getting a you know an early start for you know a three thirty game or you know a three o'clock game or maybe even the football games, uh, the divisional games that were going to be on later in the day. But uh, needless to say, you know, I saw the game on seventeen different televisions. Yeah. Um, so you're able to watch us shoot thirty five percent and still win a game gone away on seventeen different. Televisions. It was unbelievable. Um, UNC got out to to a quick start. Yeah. Um, they were shooting the lights out of the basket. I think they were like sixty percent from the field after like the after the eight minute or the twelve minute timeout. Um, you know, not quite halfway through the first half, they were just shooting the lights out of the basket. Um, you know, at one point they were up what. Uh, I mean, they had a decent lead on us early gone. 13-9. Yeah, but I don't know. What did they... I don't even remember now. But they they were up on us by a 
by more points than that, I believe. I mean, we could uh, for a little. It, it seemed like that, didn't it? But it. Well, I guess because we weren't hitting anything. Yeah, I the the their biggest lead was thirteen nine at the twelve yeah. minute mark, um, and then we closed the gap and then went on a run. Yeah, I mean, we came out very sluggish, but then the uh, defense started doing what it had to do, and we started forcing them to take outside shots, and they cannot shoot three pointers for their lives. And they just went cold. Yeah. They didn't make a basket. They had a layup. I think they finally the, hit a three-pointer in the second half at some point. They had a from the eight-minute mark. They didn't hit a jumper for seven minutes. I think that was their lowest scoring output in the um, in the shot clock era, which goes back to like 1986, I believe. Now, yeah, I remember hearing that. Um, as well, so that's definitely on point. Yeah, that's insane, man. And then, I don't know if we had a hangover, but two days later we had to go to BC, and that was looking ugly. Yeah, I didn't see any of that game. Um, besides the fact that Cooney went off, Any anything else to take we out of that game? We should have blown them out. Like, I sent you a text at one point because two plays in a row, Cooney stole the ball and friggin' slam dunked it. In the first yeah, half. And then you we, did say that. The text I got from you was Cooney's putting on a dunking clinic. Yes, it was crazy. Cooney, like, he, on multiple plays, you know, like one play, I think some, you know, one player might have been Ennis stealing and passing to Cooney. Then Cooney stole it. Then they came back to the break and Cooney stole it again. Uh, you know, we should have been beating the hell out of that team, but they were hitting three-pointers and we weren't shooting so hot. And the second half, you know, it was like, all right, we get the... Halftime, it's like, all right, we'll take care of business in the second half. But they were up like 50 to 44 at one point. We were playing crummy. But um, we ended the game on a 25 to 9 run. You know, and that's the scary thing about this team. We have the athletes that we can do that. You know, but there should be, but it shouldn't have come to, come to that at all. I don't know if any of this, I mean, I know it's crazy because he really doesn't make that big of a difference in the long run, it seems like. But Dewan Coleman hasn't been starting. Right. Hasn't been playing. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be able to play against – we got Pittsburgh Saturday afternoon. And Pittsburgh is always tough. You know, that is – that is – it seems like year in, year out, that's our toughest damn game is when we play Pittsburgh. I'd agree 100%. Um, you know, at least – from afar, this looks like um, it'll certainly be a tough test. Um, I think they're second place in the ACC. I don't think they've yeah. lost yet. Yeah. In conference. Um, but they've done it a little bit. with They're, they're ranked 22 in the country, but they've done it a little bit with smoke and mirrors. Um, they haven't – the only top 100 teams they've beaten are – Maryland, NC State, uh, and Wake Forest. Yeah, since he beat them like 46 to 45 or something obscene like that. Uh, so, I mean, they're representing on paper. Yeah, I, I, I think they do have one of their better players, I think, is out for the season. If not the season, he'll be out for a decent amount of time. Duran Johnson, I believe his name is. But... um. But it should be a good test because they usually play good D. You know? 
Let's see. Um, yeah, I don't, have, I don't see any injury listed, but um, we're 16-10 and 10 all-time uh, at Pitt, uh, against Pitt at home. Although, sir, uh, they've been, they've had our number of late. Yeah. And yeah, here, here's the article right now. Pitt shows resilience after after Duran Johnson's season-ending injury. When did he go down? Wait for this damn story to load. What the hell? Come on, what's up with your Pittsburgh website? This was 16 hours ago, so let's see. All right. So I guess this must have been the first game afterwards. Let's see. This is last night. Pitt didn't have Duran Johnson for the first time Tuesday night against Georgia Tech. And Lamar Patterson didn't have his best game. Yeah, so that was his first game without him. So he's the he's their sixth man, I guess. Okay. Oh uh, no, he's not. I'm just reading this wrong. I don't even know what he played. I I haven't watched Pittsburgh play at all this Either year. Either have I. But listen, they're they're twenty they're twenty second ranked team in the country. Uh, they're second place in the ACC, but it's a game that we should be able to win at home. You know why I never I never watch Pittsburgh play other than when they play us? Why is that? Because they play ugly as hell. Yes. It's defense. It's always been that same crap. Oh, it's terrible. You remember when we beat them in overtime like eight or nine years ago? and It was an overtime game, and we won like 46 to 40. <laughs> I do. I think that might have been our lowest scoring output, like, during the Bayheim era until last year against Georgetown. And that was a game we won in overtime. How ridiculous is that? I don't know. It should be a good game, though. Hopefully it won't be a good game. Hopefully we'll beat the hell out of them. That's what I want. I would like that, too. I would like yeah. that, too. I think that's a, that's a game that could go either way. I think I think we could, um, we could Every certainly... Every weekend's another little test of us, you know? Now, here's, the, here's what is starting to concern me... Um, a little more. It's been on my radar for a while, but the fact that um, that we are basically down to a six-man rotation, yeah, game after game. Um, I'm not sure why um, Binjay's minutes continue to diminish. He played ten against UNC, uh, only only logged five against uh, BC, but he did play. He might have only played five minutes, but he was playing a bit down the stretch when they needed him the other night. Which, you know, he's uh, he, he's certainly a defensive uh, improvement over Cooney. That, that's certainly um, that's certainly evident. But you think that would be relevant in places other than down the stretch? Yeah, yeah. You know where he could log, you know, fifty. 12 to 15 minutes consistently a game. He's just not he's just not getting that. I mean, is his offensive output that bad that, you know, he can't be on the floor for well, for I stretches? Think, I think part of the issue was that Cooney Cooney and Ennis were playing so well together. Like, yeah, we were losing, but their defense, they were playing really good D. You know, it's kind of like I think Beheim's just gone with whatever's working at the time, you know? I mean, Cooney played 35 minutes, and Tyler played the whole game. You know, that's probably the answer right there. 
Um, he only played three minutes the other night, but Tyler Roberson's actually been getting, he's actually been getting in games when they matter. Yeah. No, I've noticed that, which is nice. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we're going to have to do, uh, which is good. Cause if that guy can be another guy that starts, um, that starts contributing that we can depend on, you know, cause that's the problem. Having too, too damn thin of a lineup. You know, you don't want to have that issue because that's, I think that's what's been affecting us lately. Uh, I think Coleman needs to play, you know, just, just for the fact that he takes up, you know, that's five more fouls, you know? Yeah. Like, cause that happened in BC, the BC game the other night, you know, uh, Rakeem Christmas got in hardcore foul trouble. I think Kata eventually got in foul trouble. You know, it's like, I don't know, our big men are so, they're so, uh, you know, they're not proficient enough. You know, we kind of just need the bodies out there. You know, I was just thinking the other day, if if we were into February already, I would be comfortable in making the claim that we wouldn't see Coleman for the rest of the year. Something's just, there's just something fishy about, about this injury about his recovery, about his absence, you know, he, he he appears to be a little soft, and I think he's showing it. Uh, yeah. You know, I think he's lost a little favor um, from early on with the coaching staff. Uh, I think they had high hopes for him this year. I thought, I think they thought he was going to make huge strides, and those first few um, early season games, it looked like he was headed in that direction. But I think once the competition started to increase, I think once you know we went to Maui and we came back from Maui, um, you know he kind of took a step backwards, and I don't think they're particularly happy about that. Well, that's what disappointed me about him. It's like I thought when the season came along and you realize he had lost all that weight, like, oh, this guy's going to be ready to, you know, make a marked improvement over last year. But then he gets out there and he can do a couple of things on the offensive end, but he's, his defense, he's like a, you know, he's like a swinging door. <laughs> you know? He just lets guys go right by him. And then, and then on top of that, you know, five minutes in a game and he's, you know, he's, He's hanging down, you know, grabbing his pants. He's, he's, I don't know. He needs, he needs something to be done. You know, he needs some type of, he needs somebody to kick him in the ass. That's what he needs. Like I said, it, it's a little too early. There's, there's way too much of season left yeah. to, you know, to kind of write him off. But if this was, you know, beginning of February and still, Instead of the middle of January or the middle of February, instead of the beginning of February, and he was, you know, kind of going through this right now, and he hadn't been in a game, and we haven't seen him practice, and they've been kind of, you know, kind of mums the word on him. Yeah, I would say that. Listen, don't count on him coming back for for a tournament run. I think they've kind of given up on him, but. There's still a lot of season left. I think he can get himself back in shape. I think he can get himself back in the lineup because, quite frankly, we need him. I think he did play in that Eastern Michigan game a little bit. Yeah, he had three minutes. They they kind of brought yeah, him back at the end. Yeah. Um, and Beheim had had um had been asked about him, and his response was, "Listen, we got to see him do more stuff." 
Um, we're going to continue to work him in practice and see where he is until then, you know. Well, that's the disappointing thing about him. It's it's his defense. That's what's disappointing. You know, because it's like he's a liability. Just like, yeah, they all have trade-offs. Like, Kada's great on defense. You know, you want him under there. But if only he could catch the damn ball on offense, you could have him in there more often. But you can't throw the ball to him down under because so often it just goes right through his hands and out of bounds. I mean, we've certainly had our share of one-dimensional big men. Yeah, um, you know, during you know during the up years as well as the down years. So if that was his only you know issue, I think you can you can work around it. I think you know his upside would definitely outweigh his downside. But the fact he just can't, you know, he can't put together twelve or fifteen minute stretches. Yeah, you know, without. You know, without having his you know hands on his knees, grabbing his shorts, just yeah. makes him makes him that all that more of a liability. So I mean, he's only a sophomore too, so maybe you know. I mean, we know he's going to be a four year player. Yeah, yeah. It it just it just blows you away about like the you know the um, recruiting and the evaluation of players when that guy was like a sophomore, junior in high school. You know, he was interchangeable one and one one and two, you know, whether he was one or two in his class, you know. Right. But I think it was just the situation where he was just so much more physically ahead of all the other kids. Right. And, and that's yep. that's what happens, you know, the, especially um, when you're talking about big men who are that well developed. Yeah. At that age, they're just literally heads and shoulders above the rest. Um, you know who's not a four-year player is Tyler Ennis. Nope. This week, nope. Um, a lot of talk about um, the country's best freshman, and there was some debate on whether or not he's making a case for uh, being the best freshman uh, college basketball player in the country. And there's some pretty, it's some pretty steep competition. Um, oh, Jabari you, Parker, Andrew Wiggins, Wiggins, Randall, that African kid they have at Kansas, Embiid. He's a he might end up being better than everybody. He's only played basketball for like two years. You know, it's hard to put um, to put Ennis above those guys. Listen, he's having a great year. Um, he's certainly, you know, he, he's certainly a major reason. Um, that we're number two in the country and, and currently undefeated. Do I think that that maybe he ends up being a better pro than some of those guys? Absolutely, because he's got a narrow scope of um, he's got a narrow scope in terms of where he can go as a pro. He's going to be yeah. a, a pass first point guard. Yep. On the next level. So well, he'll be able to refine that skill and become a very valuable pro in the right system where some of those other guys are tweeners or they're, you know, they're wing players and, you know, that style can be hit or miss as, you know, as we've seen tons of yeah. Syracuse alum come out. Of course. Um, and and um, another thing with Annis, as far as making arguments, being the best freshman in the country. He's playing. He's playing the most important position on the court, 
in my opinion. You know, if you don't have a point guard, you don't have much. Right. You know, he's playing that position on a team that's ranked number two in the nation. He's doing you know, it 40 he, minutes a game. Yes, he plays 40 minutes a game, and he's basically our quarterback. You know, like he's – like you got to say something. Something has to be said for that, you know? He like certainly has a maturity level that, that is well beyond his years. Yep, and you know he's polite because he's Canadian. <laughs> and spent his prep years in Jersey. Yeah, so he might be kind of a douchebag too. <laughs> he's a polite douchebag. <laughs> Would you like to go see some UFC, eh? <laughs> so regardless of where he falls on on um, his place in terms of freshman of prowess, uh, he'll be gone. There's no question about that. Um, yeah. Jeremy Grant is gone. Jeremy right? Grant may be gone. It, I think it'd be a mistake for him to leave. I think so too. But he'll but get I th- drafted just on his athletic skill alone. If he has a if he has a monster march and you know he's got a lot of sports center highlights yeah. in the tournament, which you know he's capable of. Yeah. I, I think you're kind of looking at a Dion Waiters ascension to almost lottery talk. Yeah, I didn't think Deion Waiters was leaving uh, in January of the year, of his last year. Right. You know, and then he just, he went off. He literally jumped himself out of the building into the lottery. Grant's thing, though, that he needs to do, he needs to develop an outside shot. You know, he's been getting better with the jumpers, but he doesn't have a three-point shot. Like, he's got a lot. His game is very raw still. I agree, and I think, I think he. But that could st- doesn't matter when you're getting drafted. Exactly, he could stand to come back, but somebody yeah. is going to pay him to let him develop those skills. Unfortunately, you know, statistics say he won't develop those skills. Yeah, you know yeah. what? You know what college football? I mean, what college basketball player without a, a long range game and a questionable, you know, eighteen foot jump shot? goes to the pros and develops that over time. No, you don't. You don't. So um, so I think he goes, you know, I think they're going to, they're going to tab him as, as, as high ceiling, you know, possibly yeah. f- fringe lottery, but, you know, definitely top 15 pick and, you know, and you might and end be- up toiling in the, devel- the developmental league for a while. See that would be such a waste, you know. know. And, and I hate to see hate to see those guys do that. But listen, if if they can get paid, they can get paid, and yeah, you know, I mean, they get their money to do so. Who is that? That guy from Duke years ago, Josh McRoberts, is like, oh well, he has to leave. And then that guy was fooling around in the D League for a while. You know, Fab Mello, they drafted him yep. the first round. He basically has been a D League All Star now. You know, <laughs> uh, the good news is. Um, that McCullough, uh, Syracuse signee McCullough, yeah, um, has settled at IMG Academy. Yep. So um, he's getting himself academically eligible as well as uh, honing his skills um, at the venerable uh, IMG camp. And um, yeah. it, it looks like, one, he's dominating this season. 
um, on that level, which is nice. And I think he should be able to come in and contribute. Yeah, and he's know, supposed to be the real deal, that kid. Almost immediately. So that's um, you know, that's a little bit of a, a silver lining. Let's just hope he's not a knucklehead. I guarantee that he's a knucklehead. Let's hope his knuckleheadery is uh, is minimal. Yeah. I mean, you see these guys like you. Know, you remember Dante Green? He was like top five player in the country, and he came in. He thought he was so much, so much better than he was. And they left after one year. And what's he been then? Toiling around like, you know, he was playing for the Kings last I know. You know, but it was like. All the promise that guy had being a 6'11 dude that could shoot the three-pointer and stuff like that. And he just, you know, the guy never passed up a shot, you know, never passed it up. Didn't see a sh- never saw a shot he didn't like. Yep. You know, he's like, you know, there's, and then there's some guys who are like that who are ranked high as hell, but they know, but they, but they know about how to play the game. You know, they're just not all out there all about me, me, me. So let's hope he's not that type of guy. That's the key. And on that note, man. Yeah. We got anything else? No, that's all, man. That's an action. We've gone for an hour 35, That's an action-packed 90 minutes. Yeah, you know, we might as well keep this going for another two hours, like Wolf of Wall Street. (laughs) 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 All right, man. With apologies to Girk's brother. We'll see you guys next week. All right. Later, Sam, man.